Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Wet Palette Podcast. I am your host, Brenda Popritkin. Today we kick off a new Chef Spotlight series. With me is Robuchon Miami's Chef James Friedberg. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, so excited. First off, congratulations on being our sole two-star honoree. Thank you so much. When a prestigious and sizable restaurant like Robuchon comes to town, one of the things I and many passionate diners struggle with is finding that Miami connection. We want to feel that everyone is in it with us. Mm-hmm. That bond that will make it feel like it has integrated into our community versus just existing in its own bubble or an extension of other locations. That's where I hope to come in today and shine a light on you and your team, the heart and soul behind the successful operation and what makes it Miami. How long have you been here? So I've been here about two years now. Yeah, I moved in uh, October 2020. Ah, that's right. The pandemic. Do we talk about that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know you went to Penn State. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, um, and I went to Penn State, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what made you decide to get a degree in hotel and restaurant management and then culinary school? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I started working at a, a local country club near my house. My, my mom made me go out and get a job, and that was mm-hmm. kind of the first thing that came to mind in terms of what I wanted to do. So I started doing that, and I you know, fell in love with the restaurant industry, and I wanted to uh, pursue that more professionally, and that's why I went to Penn State. And you started at, with Le Cirque and made your way through New York restaurants and ultimately landed at Robuchon, New York, right until COVID, which you just said. Yeah. What are some of those early memories that shaped who you are today as a chef? Yeah, I mean, growing up in Le Cirque as a young line cook was really exciting. I mean, there was a really intense atmosphere there. It was primarily French uh, chefs in the kitchen. Um, and yeah, there was like this big this big rush at the time for the, the New York Times review. And uh, in our review of Le Cirque, was, there was rumors that Le Cirque was getting reviewed. So there was lots of buzz around that. And that was something that the kitchen team was really like striving for and, and looking out for. So you mean Miami's not the only city with rumors? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Swirling around, oh, yeah. <laughs> Michelin stars and yeah. all that. And it ended up getting one or two? So Le Cirque ended up getting three stars. Three? The yeah. New York, but not the Vegas? Do you know about that? Yeah, it was just New York, from the New York Times. From the New York, sorry. Oh, yeah, right. which is the, yeah, but, different Yeah, I, Michelin, I was thinking yeah. the Michelin, right, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you come down at all to train the Miami team during the first opening? So I came out a little bit in 2019 just to sort of help out when they had a chef transition at the time. And I wasn't really involved too much in the training, but yeah, I I became sort of uh, introduced to the the team here and the culture in Miami a little bit. And what was it like once you were told New York was shutting down after all that? (laughs) So, yeah, it it was really a shock, obviously, to everybody. And... I mean, it was, to be honest, it was kind of good to get a little break. I mean, uh, the industry can get a little grueling at times, and I had been working a pretty long stretch. And immediate, in the real near term, it was like, okay, we get a little breather, we're going to reopen in a few months. I right. mean, little did we know, it was the restaurant was going to be closed permanently. Around here, we were thinking weeks. We're like, it's just two weeks. It's exactly. no big deal. It's just two weeks. <laughs> wow. So yeah. tell me about the journey to Miami when that change happened. Like, okay, I'm going to Miami for good. Yeah, so I was I was sort of given wind that the New York location wasn't going to reopen and was given the opportunity to come down to Miami to, to be the chef here. And you know what, at the time, New York was all locked down and it was, you know, life there wasn't really very exciting or interesting. And so I said, hey, why not? I'm going to go take a chance down in Miami and, and see what, what's going on there. What is someone, um, something you wish someone would have told you about Miami before you moved that would have made life in Miami easier? Well, I wish I learned a lot more Spanish before coming down here. That's oh, for yeah. Sure. I could yeah. see that. 
I could see that. And what are some of your favorite Miami food spots? So, I mean, I love Boya Day, yeah. um, which also received a Michelin star this year, yes. rightfully so. It's, that's one of my local favorites. I do live in, in the design district, oh, okay. um, so I'm near the restaurant. And um, and yeah, Mon Monty's is my other favorite spot, yeah. which is sort of more casual, but yeah. has a great vibe and uh, yeah, good, good view and all that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, that's... I guess like a real like a Miami vibe like a more exactly, laid back yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and tell, so let's talk about the restaurant tell me about your team here yeah so my team here is I mean we're pretty diverse we have um, people from all over the world working in the kitchen we have uh, two two international students one from Belgium one from the Netherlands we have uh, a woman from Korea here and we have a few locals as well and a couple Colombians on our team so we're, we're pretty diverse no Cubans <laughs> Uh, no Cubans no Cubans. at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I know. Just a biased question from me. I'm a Cuban. <laughs> um, how is the food served here different from the other locations? And what makes it very Miami? Or, I mean, I know that the menu, there are staples, that there mm -hmm. are classic staples. But what are some touches that... So that we make use it a little five? bit more tropical fruits and citruses than, than we did previously in New York we do like a foie gras tourchon with mango chutney for instance, that which is like a, kind of an interesting combination and wasn't mm. really something I've seen a lot of so we gave that a shot being that mangoes are so yeah. widely available here and, yeah. and delicious as well so yes yeah that's that's one example so yeah so my next question was what fresh Miami are you <laughs> with? okay so mango yeah, uh -huh. yeah and mangoes and obviously you have citrus and oranges and what is um what would you do like let's say in the fall so the fall, I mean, we, we tend to use like a lot of butternut squashes, different mushrooms and stuff like that. Um, I haven't really found too many local Miami fall ingredients, but I'm, I'm, my ears are open. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite part of what you do and what do you enjoy the most or what are you most proud of? So, I mean, my, the favorite part of my job is creating new dishes and we have a lot of freedom here to do. As you mentioned, we do have staples on the menu, but the, the good portion of the menu is our own original creations and location specific to Miami. So, I mean, I, I do love uh, testing new recipes and creating new dishes and that's, yeah, that's really where, what drives me. How long before you come up with something and you test the research and then you put it on the menu? So we make a dish like an average of 10 to 12 times before it goes on the menu. Yeah. Whether it's, and we tweak it every time and we taste it and we, as a team, kind of collaborate on the, in that process. Um, so it's not really that that simple as other restaurants might change more frequently we're like pretty careful about what we put on the menu and that's how we really maintain our our standards and consistency random question mm -hmm. remember the first time I was here the team was communicating in French I'm pretty sure no one or not everyone spoke or understood it but the CDC was calling things out in French and everyone was answering replying we oui, chef <laughs> but then I never saw that again after the uh, the opening chef is that something that was like a thing you think on her end or is that something that's common? So, um, yeah, there's some menu items we do call in French, just sort of randomly, I guess you could say, but mostly we switch to English. We do, of course, say we oui, chef. You do you still say we oui, chef? Traditionally, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. okay. I mean, I thought that was, I was like, yeah. hey, are they speaking French? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I also always get a kick out of your playlist. There's a song that you all play and it's a salsa song in French. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, our playlist is interesting. It is. I tried to Shazam it and I couldn't find it. But no, no. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me about hearing that Michelin was coming here for the first time. Yeah, so it was, I mean, to be honest, it was a little bit of a shock. It wasn't really ever something that was in my mind when I moved down here. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the sort of rumors came in about Michelin coming. It was exciting, obviously. Yeah. But it didn't really change anything. I mean, we kept doing what we were doing before and 
Yeah, just stayed the course. So you didn't do any particular prepping or, or training or anything to prepare? Because Not now really. it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, to be honest, no. I mean, the, the Robuchon schooling of, of cooking and everything is, is already is, there. It's already, is ready. already is already there and so it didn't really change anything for so us. you don't have to get ready if you're ready <laughs> we were we were ready uh, the right second you were we ready opened. i love yeah. that and so what do you think are some of your team's strengths and weaknesses yeah i mean strengths are we work really well together it's kind of an interesting dynamic in that everyone does get along really well outside of work and inside of work as well so there's like a big team dynamic that sometimes doesn't exist in restaurants um, so it is like a common goal and everyone does support each other, which is great. Um, some of our weaknesses are recently with the Michelin influx, we've been a lot busier than we've been before. Yes. <laughs> so trying to get everyone up to that pace and that speed of just constantly go, go, go is, is something that we are working towards and still, you know, yeah. needs to improve upon. I could, I, I yeah. could imagine. So I was here actually the Friday, the next day, mm. the, so Thursday and then I, no, Saturday, the Saturday, two days oh. later. And the pace it was, crazy, was right? it was definitely more hectic. And I, I mean, the service was still great. The food was still hard. Yeah. But I did notice a little bit of like a calm chaos, like, yeah. you know, like hecticness. But I figured that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Just getting getting used to that. Okay, so you get an invite. You head to Orlando. Mm -hmm. No pressure. <laughs> what went through your head when they go through one star, the one star list and Robuchon was not called? So it's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> when they were announcing the one stars, there was a leak on the internet. Yes. <laughs> and somebody posted the list a little oh, too early right oh. so the surprise was kind of ruined for me and someone right. someone came over to me and said hey you got you got two stars you might want to get towards the stage and I'm like what how did you how did you know right. that you know i guess that was your and reaction they showed me the article oh, so i was oh actually a little bit disappointed that i didn't get the surprise right. okay michelin get on point you gotta fix that it's a big relief yeah yeah come on michelin wow i know yeah. get it together so your name and it would happen in florida of course too but yeah. um because florida Fair so right. your name gets called how was that even though you already knew but you still have to walk up to the stage and has it sunk in yet yeah i mean it was yeah it was kind of a whirlwind and i sort of ran up to the stage obviously knowing you know beforehand um but yeah it was exciting and yeah, it was an awesome experience yeah. and um okay so <coughs> i'm sorry so now you have the stars how does this change things or does it are you going on vacation um, I'm in Disney World. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, n not in the immediate future. No. Oh. Uh, yeah, just get us keeping our head down and you know continue to work hard. And um, I think we have a lot more pressure now to create new dishes. And I think guests are going to come looking for more than they were previously. And we need to live up to the standards now. So I think the the real work kind of starts now in a sense. Yeah, retain that we need to retain <laughs> retain and yeah. also live up to that two star name. Absolutely, yeah. I get it. Okay, so what happens when New York reopens? Is there an existing plan for the location as far as for this location as far as the team goes? How many of your team are already locals and how many are not? So um, New York is still a ways off. They're looking to relocate um, right. locations, which um, in New York a space that big doesn't come on the market very often in Manhattan. So it that could be a good ways out. Yeah. Okay, and um, what do you want your listeners to know about you that I have not already covered? Um, yeah, just that I'm a you know, I'm I'm a pretty humble guy, and I, I keep my head down in the kitchen and and just try to cook the best food I can. And, and uh, there's a lot of chefs with egos and and stuff like that, and that's not really what we are here. I think Robuchon uh, restaurants in the past, in the kitchen at least, were known for sort of having a lot of egos in the kitchen and that very like strict militaristic. Uh, mentality and stuff like that but yeah we just we just try to cook good food and that's it i do try to tell that to diners or people who they get scared away from anything michelin related or they think just because it's fine dining it's going to be snooty and 
and that at least my experience here so friendly and and welcoming and any questions that i have always get answered without an attitude without an eye roll like how do you not know that or anything you know so yeah so that's so that's a great point um about the restaurant is that we are fine dining but it's a very unpretentious environment we don't have tablecloths on the table it's not stuffy you can come in shorts if you want to you don't you need can? to have a jacket what? yeah so so that's our whole vibe here is that um you know it's it's great food but very approachable and it is approachable and you can come for anything you can do the full tasting menu you can come for a few appetizers glass of mm -hmm. champagne you can go either direction that's the move yep so okay so are you gonna stay with us when when new york reopens going back to so, that so yeah in the, in the near term i will will be in miami um yeah i kind of you know fell in love with the culture here and and uh you know the team here is amazing and i want to continue to be a part of that yeah. Well, Chef, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with me. I am hopeful after today, Miami feels like we have a better understanding of L'Atelier de Robuchon and a more personal connection with you. To you, the listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Your call to action today is to share this episode with someone. It's the best organic way to spread the word about the wet palette. Also, let me know what you think about the podcast. Send in those comments and suggestions. My DMs are always open, unfortunately, sometimes, but they are always open. Until we meet again, from my palette to yours, cheers. Bye. Thank you, Chef. Thank you so much. Vamos, vamos, vamos.